welcome to the Aftershock. I'm Phil Ava, joined here by Alex Morgan, Colin Etnire, and Asher Cohn, all here uh, for the show today. Colin, as everybody can see, is at the stadium, so I'm going to kick it over to you first. Colin, give us your initial thoughts after this 3-0 loss to NYCFC at Yankee Stadium. Yeah, well, look, the, the last game we went to was also a 3-0 loss, but this was a lot more enjoyable because it's, you know, 65, 70 degrees and beautiful versus the bitterly cold uh, Philadelphia Union game. Um, and the other differences actually was a much better game. They had a lot more control in the midfield, um, and we are getting kicked out of where we're going. So I'm going to have to get back to you. Sorry. <laughs> no worries, Colin. Just glad you were able to join us, at least for that, that brief moment there. Um, I can go ahead and move it over to Alex then. Alex, your thoughts regarding the match. 3-0 uh, loss, three goals scored after the 74th minute. Um, what, do you, what do you think here as, as this result comes in? Look, Phil, they were playing a really good New York City FC team. I think it's important to keep in mind that in their last two games, New York City FC had scored 11 goals. They put five goals and, and, and six goals in the back of the net in their last two games. So with that perspective, I think this result is a lot less disheartening uh, than it may feel in the moment. And I actually thought for the majority of this game, it was a really solid performance from the Quakes. Uh, they went to New York and they played some classy cosmopolitan soccer, uh, in my opinion. They were going toe-to-toe -to -toe with New York City, and uh, they lost a little bit of focus at the end. They lost defensive focus. New York City outlasted them, outplayed them, especially in the second half. But I never felt at any point that New York City – had outcoached them uh, or had had a better plan than they had. Uh, and it, it felt like it was just a, a, a small margins at the end of the game where, where New York City had slightly more quality. I think they had a little bit of luck, some of their chances going in the back of the net. So even though it's a disappointing 3-0 loss, I'm not incredibly concerned about this result. I, I, I'm taking away a lot of positives from this performance and the way that they were able to build the ball through the middle, have quick passing combinations in the attacking third, and win the ball high up the field. Those are some really positive things that I took away from this game. Okay, so perhaps it's a bit correlative then that all of the goals that NYCFC scored were after the substitutions that Alex Covello made. Um, we can see from the match that they actually had a game plan. They played uh, very compact and defensively at times and prevented NYC from scoring, even though they created a lot of chances and had a much higher XG. I think uh, going into the, the last quarter of the match, they were at about 1.5 XG, where the Quakes were sitting throughout the match for, for the most part at 0.2. I'm going to go over to Asher really quickly so I can hear your initial thoughts after the match, and then we'll go back to Colin. Yeah, um, I agree with Alex that they were outplayed. NYC just a really good team, and they showed it, uh, especially in the second half. Um, and I, I did think Cavella got outcoached, or um, maybe got outcoached, maybe just NYC had depth. I mean, the subs, once the subs happened, when the New York started throwing the ball into the back of the net. So um, maybe there's some different subs he could have made, uh, but maybe not. I mean, this team really needed like more defensive reinforcements. There was just flat out, you know, Judson's out. There's no one really else to call on right there. So um, they just looked like they got outlasted and that New York had more ideas at the end of the match. Absolutely. And we did see that not only were they creating more of cancer, they actually had a huge shift in possession as well. I think the first like 12 to 15 minutes of the match for the Earthquakes, it was heavy possession. They had more chances created. They were putting a couple shots on goal. And then we saw kind of them just sit back. And I thought maybe Covello was going to have the team kind of sandwich the attack or be more aggressive going into the end of the match. But really, they were playing from behind once the subs were made because the uh, NYCFC was able to score. So, Colin, uh, let's go back over to you so we can hear your thoughts. You're at the stadium. What do you think? Yeah, uh, the subs absolutely changed the nature of the game. And I will say that one of the 
the interesting things, you know, as Asher said, depth. They, it's just because you say like, hey, man, the subs really wrecked the game. It doesn't mean that necessarily Cavella had other cards to play. And that's what kind of struck me. I was like, gosh, you know, it's a very, it's actually a very conservative substitution to just swap like for like. I think the natural one would have been to pull off a Grey Goose, for example, move Montero in the middle and put, for example, Cowell uh, on the left wing. Would have been more attacking for sure. But the problem is they don't have any real season central midfielders on the bench. Uh, you know, there's, Jutsen's not healthy. Scan would be kind of reaching a little bit. You know, you don't have other options there. So when he made his substitutions, it basically kind of reduced his optionality of where he could go from there if the game state changes. Now, at 0-0, if you're going to grind out a draw against a high-quality team, that's a good result. Um, but then, obviously, at a certain point, um, you know, he just didn't have other options to play. Uh, so, you know, they, it kind of hamstrung his optionality. He gambled, gambled wrong, but I, I kind of understand the logic. But even before that, the Quakes were under a lot of pressure. So it's not like all of a sudden they were dominating the game, substitutions happened, and then they lose. It was they were under a lot of pressure, uh, substitutions happened, and then the dam breaks. So that, it, it, that's kind of definitely the impression I had here. But it was a very heartening first 20 or so min, minutes of the game uh, where there was a lot of ball control in the middle of the field. Uh, so, you know, something to build off of, I guess. You know, one thing that I found really interesting was seeing Jamiro Montero playing on the left uh, side of the midfield rather than playing centrally, where I think we saw him more effective. Um, Jamin had mentioned last week that once Jamiro Montero was shifted into the more central part of the midfield, that he is more effective in that position and he has a lot more of an impact on the team. Um, so that was kind of the area of the, the pitch that I was kind of focusing on here. And not only Jamiro Montero and his effect on, on the midfield, but also if you're looking more centrally, who was actually there, we had Jan Gregus and Jackson Yule. Um, Gregus was actually finding a lot of really decent space in, in the attack and able to find himself in positions that, you know, made the, the Quakes attack more potent overall. And, but I'm kind of wondering here, and Asher, I was going to pose this question to you, what you thought about Jackson Yule's positioning in this match, because you had written an article about Yule last season about how he'd been kind of playing all over the place, and Matias was in, wasn't necessarily able to find like his best position, and even at times playing Jackson Yule at center back. Um, considering the midfield and the impact that they had, you know, what, what was Yule's uh, sort of role here in this match, and what did you see from him? Perhaps Jan Gregus as well, if we're looking sort of towards that that, uh, you know, more attacking oriented part of the midfield rather than if you were looking at like Eric Rometty, you know? Yeah, I thought you had a great match. I mean, he's played more as like a free eight these past couple games under Covello. Um, he's able to kind of defend from up top. He makes a lot of these um, runs that key the press, just basically sprinting at Sean Johnson, trying to force bad passes from there. That worked really effectively in the first half. Um, he's a really good defender in the attacking side of the pitch, if that makes sense. And I think he was able to really... Um, combined well also i thought he you know played great um he's really much better with another midfielder behind him cleaning up like the way that remedy is able to do and remedy also played well uh, i seem to be absolutely gassed by the end uh made the sort of pass that would get any high scores sent to the bench uh, right at the end of the match there uh trying to backheel the ball at the side of the pitch um yeah it seems like um like Cavello and Almeida really like getting Gregus Montero and you know those are the three best passers you know on the team they want a midfield with them they no one's really found a way to do that effectively yet um, and it seems like you know maybe that two out of three is a better way to get the attack where you have more stability but then you have more 
know, a more dynamic wing presence than Montero brings, a uh, more dynamic defensive presence than Gregish brings. It seems like they're just those pieces aren't quite adding up. It's the sort of thing that most teams figure out in preseason, but this being San Jose, uh, they're trying to figure it out on May first. Yeah, that was that was kind of my feeling too in terms of like how that was adding up towards creating an attack. Now, um, I did, as I mentioned before, have some of the issues with Jamero Montero there, but if you look on the other side of the of the pitch here, if we're looking at Jared or. Uh, Christian Espinoza and Paul Marie, I thought there was actually a lot there. There was some solidity. We saw some nice, like, interplay between them, and we saw, you know, the attack shifting um, from that side of the pitch. Both Paul Marie finding some uh, attack centrally as well as Christian Espinoza. Uh, Colin, um, I'm curious as to your thoughts about that or whatever else you might have to say about the midfield attack. Yeah, no, I mean, Paul Marie has been one of the great stories of, of this the last couple of years because you, you draft him in the middle of the first round. He comes in as kind of a peripheral figure, and he's kind of got better every year uh, and now he's at the point where he's a pretty solid right back in mls and that's that, like good rosters in mls are built on the backs of you know minimum salary guys like paul marie are kind of overperforming uh their expectations and so that's a that's a very valuable development he did really well when he was bombing all the way down the wing in particular because he has some skill on the ball for a fullback uh one thing i would and by the way big shout to rick pa uh, paul marie's uh father-in-law who i met in line here i saw somebody in the paul marie jersey and it's like oh my god paul marie jersey in terms of his father-in-law anyway um what i would say about the fullback tactics were also have been very interesting to me under covello in general because i you know watching them watching quakes too both of the fullbacks stay pinched and they kind of work towards the middle of the field and they stay relatively narrow uh we've seen mostly the same uh when he's been coaching the first team as well and that uh, with some exceptions. And, you know, when Paul Marie bombs forward, that's kind of one of those exceptions. I think that for both Marie and Marcos Lopez, they're much better if they're closer to the touchline bombing down the wing than working towards the middle. I can imagine, you know, the, the fullbacks, if they had different skill sets being better. But conversely, the the wingers, guys like Espinosa, also generally work better when they're working from the wings. Uh, and usually, you know, coaches like to set up with either the fullback or the winger, you know, with the width and the other one working in the middle. Uh, Cabello has been working with the fullbacks through the middle. I don't think that's been giving us the best of Marcos Lopez because I don't think that is best when he's coming into the middle of the park. I think he's the best when he's coming down the line. I mean, and I think the thing about a game like today is that when you're talking about the fullbacks and the wingers, there really isn't any space for them because New York City exactly right. FC's field is so incredibly narrow. So in a sense, everything was forced down the middle. I mean, you can say Jamiro Montero was technically playing on the wing, but he ended up effectively playing as a number 10 because he had to cut inside centrally so much. Uh, and so there just wasn't as much space in the wide areas for players like Christian Espinosa, who had a fantastic game against the Seattle Sounders last weekend. There wasn't as much space for them to exploit. Uh, and I, so they, they weren't as effective. However, the thing that I was really impressed by was the way that they were winning balls high up the field. It was the way that even though it was so tight in the middle and that uh, in some ways hindered their ability to launch quickly out wide on the counterattack. They also used that to their advantage because they were able to close down all those spaces and put NYCFC under pressure and win the balls high up the field. You saw Jan Gregus doing that really, really well tonight. I also thought that Jackson Ewell did that really, really well. That was one of the things that impressed me the most about his performance and is one of the reasons I'm excited to see him back in the middle. You know, Matias Almeida, when he played Jackson U at center back, said that he was doing Jackson U a favor, said that he was doing this team a favor. But I think the way that Jackson U has played in the middle in these last couple games, uh, 
proves Matias Almeida wrong because he's been playing really well. He's been adding a lot to this attack and the way this team is pressing and building up through the middle. And it's clear that that's where he belongs. And credit to Alex Cavella for recognizing that and for keeping things simple. I mean, soccer looked really hard when Matias Almeida was head coach, but it didn't feel that difficult today. It felt like the Quakes had a pretty clear game plan. They executed it. In the end, it wasn't uh, up to what NYFC could produce, uh, but it felt like they were on the right track. It felt like they knew what they wanted to do. And Asher, you wanted to jump in on a, on a point here as well, right? Oh, sorry. I was just looking over at the chat. Um, so anyway, let's, let's talk about the attack as well uh, in terms of like the very tip of the formation with Jeremy Abobasi. We saw him kind of withdrawing at times and trying to play that nine role and distribute to the wings, but oftentimes he was just getting bottled up. And really, uh, I think it wasn't until later in the match that the Quicks actually had a big chance created uh, even though they had a couple shots on goal, most of the stuff was happening from outside the box or they were getting a couple of set-piece opportunities. So if we're looking at, you know, that part of the attack, um, Colin, I'm interested in your thoughts and, and what's going on there. Yeah, I mean, Jabo, we've seen, has been very good back to goal. One of the reasons why I wanted to see the cowl for Bregouche and moving Montero inside substitution is because when you have Cowell on the left wing, he's going to be running in behind in a way that Montero is not. And so I think that that might give more lanes and options and kind of suck away uh, some of the pressure off of the Boba seed to allow him to distribute. Whereas, you know, Montero, if he's coming in, doesn't necessarily have that as much. Uh, so that I, I kind of think that might have made Jabo's life a little bit easy. But you hit another point, which is, look, look, they did some decent, you know, the, the ball control was pretty good. The midfield looked pretty good. But they, the Quakes really didn't fashion a lot of clear-cut chances except for, you know, maybe a couple set-piece, you know, half-looks uh, out there. So, you know, I think that this team has solidified at the back uh, at, compared to Almeida. Uh, so someone from the Slack noted, Robert from the Slack noted, that uh, we had 100 minutes consecutively where Sounders and NYSC didn't score on the Quakes. You know, obviously they did end up conceding six goals to those two teams, but they did put together long portions of decent defense. So it seems like the defense is solidifying a little bit. The midfield had good control for portions of this, but we're, you know, the, the killer edge, you know, it seems to be a hit and miss and it, it was not there today. You know, I didn't see it in that final ball. Yeah, I think with, um, you know, Jibu, Jibu, yeah. Jeremy Obobasi does really go back to goal and like playing in space. There's, there isn't space on this pitch. And I think that, you know, New York City's center backs are really good. They really gave him a really hard time to connect with anyone. Um, they're really good. New York City's really good. Um, but um, something that happened when, you know, Kikanovic and Kyle came in is they uh, just aren't as good defenders up top as Obobasi or, you know, as the other people. And they really allowed New York to like, pick their head up and get the ball to the wings, which San Jose, you know, really couldn't do all game. I, New York City's goals came from exploding space behind Palmery, like in San Jose's right back area, which, you know, they were able to do because they had built their attack that way. They're built for this field. Uh, San Jose really couldn't figure it out. And I think like a Bobas, you just try, it, it's just really tough. I really don't have any personal answers, like what they would have done better. Um, I think just like when they got super direct is when they had the most success. Um, but that, yeah, has diminishing returns we saw today. If I if I could jump in just uh, before, because obviously I'm going to have to run at a certain point when they kick me out of here. Um, but to Asher's point about you know those defensive actions in the attacking third, you know those kind of high high up defensive actions. The best player on San Jose is Jamiro Montero, uh, and so when you take him off the pitch and you put on Cade Cowell, who you know is 18 year old, who like still isn't that strong on that element of his game. There's a that's a big drop off. 
you know, Benji Kikanovic is, is a very willing runner. Um, probably doesn't have the same level of strength as Jabo, but, you know, take those two guys off both at the exact same time. Uh, and then you saw a very big difference in the level of press that was available. Uh, and so that was one of the big things I noticed. And then finally, big shout out to the Abobasi family. A bunch of them were here and they were really nice. So um, big shout out to you guys. And, and look, I have I have lots of positive things to say about Benji Kikanovic and Cade Cowell. For large parts of last season, they were the two players that were keeping San Jose's offense going, that were putting the ball in the back of the net. But I think today you saw the difference between two relatively inexperienced young MLS players and two uh, you know, more experienced guys in Javier Montero and Jeremy Obobese who know how to get a job done, uh, who know how to, to play in these tight situations and how to implement uh, this tactical plan that uh, Alex Cavello had. And, and uh, it was tough for, for, I think, Cade Cowell and, and Benji Kikanovic to come in in the second half uh, and, and sort of find their footing and adjust to the tempo of the game. But there was definitely a drop-off in that defensive quality and attacking spark going forward. Uh, so that's going to be a challenge for those two players going forward. And I, I think the one thing that Jeremy Obobese and, and Jameer Montero uh, did do today that was promising going forward was that I think they were willing to take shots from distance. I don't think that's something that we really saw the Quakes be willing to do when Matias Almeida was head coach. It felt like they they got so nervous on the ball in the final third, like they needed to create the perfect chance because they weren't creating that much going forward. It felt like there was so much pressure each time they got the ball that they they never had the confidence to just rip a shot or let it loose. We saw that today a couple of times. Jeremy Obobese had a good shot. Eric Remetti nearly put a nice volley in the back of the net. And those are two things that are really promising to me because every now and then one of those is going to come in and they're going to score. And also, it's going to draw New York City's defense out. It's going to uh, it's going to give them more options and more space with which to attack uh, going forward. And, and, and more options is always good. I think we're going to head to Alex Cavello now. And I'm getting out of here. See you guys. We're now joined by interim head coach Alex Covello. Uh, we'll Start by taking questions in English first, followed by a few in Spanish. So let's just go right ahead into questions, starting with uh, Alex Morgan. Hi, Alex. Thank you for joining us today. It's good to talk to you. Hey, Alex. Uh, you know, the, the team had uh, you know, kept New York City scoreless for the best part of 75 minutes and defensively looked pretty solid. And then in that last 15 minutes, you guys allowed three goals. What do you think happened that we are in those last 15 minutes? Is it a matter of focus? From that side um, was it maybe some of the substitutions that so were made and the tactical changes? Why do you think the, the team allowed those three goals in the last 15 minutes? Well, I think that you told different points, but uh, from my understanding was the, the, the mental part, you know? I'm not hearing on my side. What we did, I think, um, a lot of times in the first half, but uh, if the opponent score, you have to keep doing, you know, uh, and be focused and, and keep working. I think that the guys did an amazing job doing what we were asking for. And it's a matter, uh, a matter of time and, and find um, more minutes doing what we did at the, during the first half. I think it's that. As you said, until the first goal, we were there uh, after the first goal. I think that the mentally the focus was difficult to follow. Thank you, Alex. Uh, now let's take a question from Jamin Moore. Uh, 
unmuted. Hi, Coach. Sorry for my technical difficulties there. Um, I, I apologize. I missed the previous question, but uh, you were you were able to hold your opponents scoreless over the stretch of about 100 minutes between New York City FC and Seattle over two games. But then once the goal happened, uh, you know, you gave up three. Uh, what do you think needs to happen with this team in order to give them the mentality of how to react after giving up a goal there? They seem very used to giving up several goals once they give up a goal in, in games. Thank you. Thank you. Muted. Um, well, I think it's a similar question as the first one. They asked me the same. And I think that this is about to keep the mentality, top mentality, even if the opponent score, you know, keep going. And, and, and at the moment that you have to defend, uh, defend well in the box, at the moment that you have to do the defensive helps, keep doing it. Um, but I think it's a matter of time. I think that we had very good moments in the first half, um, offensively and defensively. Uh, and we need to, to have more of this, of this, more continuity of this. And obviously, it's not easy, you know, after the, the, the tendency that we, are, we were having. So it's about to keep working and, and, and build that, that uh, mentality part. Thank you, Alex. Now let's switch over to Bobby Rankle. Go ahead, Bobby. Alex, thank you for your time today. Despite the loss, what are some positive takeaways you can take from this match? Thank you. Well, I take uh, some positive things. One is the uh, how well organized. I think we start overall the first 70 minutes, you know, defending trying to avoid those passing lines inside uh, to their best players and the collective effort um, that the guys did trying to, to close the, 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 the field, the game and, and keep New York City with no, no, no options. I think that most part of the time we defend well the box and offensively there was a moment that uh, we saw that kind of San Jose that uh, we would like to see more. No? Thank you. Let's now go back and take a second question from Alex Morgan. Hi, Alex. Thanks for taking another question. I'm curious what some of the offensive improvements uh, you're looking for are. You know, uh, obviously the team was held scoreless today. Um, mm. You know, what are some of the things that that uh, you would have liked to seen them do in order to put the ball in the back of the net? Well, the first thing is. Um, obviously try to progress with the ball in control until to find that kind of open ball that allow us to, to make those runs uh, in behind. Obviously, it always depends on the opponent that you are going to play. Today was was difficult because we were in that, uh, that medium block and, and I think that some of the approximations that we had today was after to, to do a good job in transition, right? Um, but uh, we need to keep working on that. This is the most difficult part to improve. The most difficult part and requires more time, obviously. Thank you. Now we're going to take one final question in Spanish. Um, so, Alex, if you can go ahead and respond to this question in Spanish. Esta pregunta viene de Carlos Yusis. Carlos pregunta: ¿Cuál fue la principal diferencia en la segunda mitad? El primer tiempo parecía equilibrado y de a poco Nueva York siendo más peligroso. ¿A qué se le atribuye eso? 
Bueno, Nueva York tiene, es, un, es un gran equipo. Creo que hicimos un gran esfuerzo colectivo en la primera parte y poquito a poco empezaron a encontrarnos los espacios por fuera y, y a partir de salir fuera encontraban el, el pase dentro o con un centro, un pase dentro para combinar y eso es, eh, contra New York City es difícil de, de, de controlar. Eso es lo que, lo que creo que pasó, sobre todo en la segunda parte. Empezaron a atacarnos así. Y, sí, y, y luego el... Hay que seguir, hay que seguir. Aunque el oponente te meta un gol, hay que seguir. All right. Well, thank you everyone for joining us. We will be bringing out a player momentarily. You know, I find it interesting that Alex Covello mentioned a bunch of, or a couple of times this issue of control for the team because that seems to be uh, in the Matias era and coming into the Alex Covello era, we are seeing them maintain a lot of possession and having opportunities to create through the control that they have of the ball, like the, the control of the pace of the game, and yet they're finding difficulty scoring. And he mentioned in response to your question, Alex, that it is the most difficult part of the game to improve. So I'm curious, Alex, what your thoughts are regarding his response to your question, as well as the other parts of the press conference that we just heard from Alex Covello. Yeah, I think he sort of drew the same conclusion that we did. Uh, just a few minutes ago on the show, which is that, look, this team is improving defensively. They've plugged a lot of the holes that they've had. They look more stable at the back, holding, you know, Seattle and New York City FC goalless for 100 minutes. And it's really the offensive part that's going to be the most difficult part to fix because uh, that requires them to create a whole new system of attack. And you started to see some of those bits and pieces come together today. But as you said, it, it's going to be a, a long process. It's not going to be solved immediately. But I guess something that I took away from today was that it's doable. They have the talent. They have the capacity to do this. Me and Colin had this conversation about a week and a half ago after, uh, you know, Matias Almeida was fired and, and after the San Jose's uh, U.S. Open Cup match versus Bay City's FC, Colin was less optimistic about their capacity Uh, to push for the playoffs this season and to compete in Major League Soccer. I think after having watched these two games against Seattle and New York, I think the San Jose Earthquakes can be a playoff caliber team this season. I think it's going to be difficult. I think it's going to require a lot of improvements all across the field. But I think I have, I have seen enough promise and uh, enough capacity from this team that I know that they can compete. I know they have the talent especially with maybe a summer reinforcement or two uh, to replace Shofis there in the middle. I, I'm confident that this team has what it takes to, to go toe-to-toe -to -toe in the Western Conference. Even though it's crowded field, I think they can do it. So, yes, that is a, a good point. We will be getting Shofis back eventually, and that will definitely change how dynamic this offense operates as they're trying to find ways to score or to put the ball in the back of the net, as you, as you uh, so well put it earlier. Um, here's what I'm thinking about right now, though. The next match for the Quakes is against the Colorado Rapids, which is another team that has kind of a high-octane offense, especially with the recent addition of Jossie Zardes. Um, they will be without Diego Rubio because of a red card from their match yesterday. So here's my question to you two, and, and feel free to respond, uh, you know, whoever, whoever wants it more. Um, what is going to be necessary for this team to put the ball into the back of the net as they move forward given what they have because Chofis is not going to be back yet what is the key to this problem to this problem how are they going to unlock this problem in other words um what is Alex Covello going to do to get this team in a better position in the table 
give Montero the 10. Um, that's my opinion. Uh, I, I don't think that like, – I get why Grace had a really good game today. He does a lot to the table. But um, moving Montero inside to win second balls, opening up space in the wing, that'll do a lot. Um, yeah, I think that <laughs> – that plus increased defensive stability, getting Judson back, um, Judson and Montero in the same midfield would just be Ed Ewell is a really great defender. That would be so tough to play against. I think that'll really help break up the opposition attack and get the ball in better areas. Get Espinosa hitting cutbacks, get Cowell on the run, things like that. I think that's what that's what they need in the short term. In so the long term, sorry, go ahead. Who's the odd man out then, Asher? Is it is it Rometty? Is it Ewell? Is it Greg? She's the odd man out in the middle. Gregoosh for now. I mean, I think that Gregoosh can still, you know, he's a great weapon to bring in at the end of games. He can definitely get enough starts uh, if there's a decent open cup run coming in. I mean, it's okay to have 10 players on the bench. I mean, you look at New York City, like Gabriel Pereira had an incredible left-footed strike. And he, you know, he's on the bench. No fault to him. But, you know, it's that's the difference between San Jose and these teams that are on the top of the table, you know. I'm trying to give it to myself that Jack Skahan's going to make a big difference if he comes in at right back. They have some guy who's got like 40-odd caps for Corinthians coming in. It's just completely night and day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in, in this particular situation, I kind of liked the young Gregoosh starting there centrally only because of his skill set and like the size of the pitch and what the Quakes had to work with going into this match. Um, I don't know that wing play is going to be as effective when you have, you know, basically what they had. As you saw, NYC scored two of their goals from central positions. I think the third goal, uh, it was Espinosa who was beat on the wing with the little space that was there and allowed for the near post shot to go in. But I think moving forward, I agree with you, Asher, that we need to see Jamiro Montero being played centrally. And I would like to see uh, right off the bat, a, a winger playing in that position on the left where we saw Montero today. Um, Alex, you did mention that, or maybe it was Colin earlier, like he was having to shift there kind of naturally anyway because of the size of the pitch. Nonetheless, he wasn't playing centrally throughout the entire match and having the same effect that he's had in other games in which he could sort of unlock defenses playing from that central position and finding uh, those different players in space. So, um, okay, so we will be getting Jackson Yule soon, and I want to take a moment before we give any more analysis or we get to that part of the press conference to talk about the Quakes Epicenter Patreon and the other aspects of, the, um, of our organization and what we do for this team. So you can find more information about the Aftershock and all the articles that are written by our wonderful journalists on quakesepicenter.com. As you can see on the bottom of the screen, there is the URL for the Patreon as well. For $2 a month, you can get early access to the articles and the videos that are posted onto YouTube. Uh, we had a really great one uh, very recently with Jamin Moore where he was talking to uh, the guys over at Blue Balls, which is the NYCFC um, podcast or one of their podcasts. And there was a lot of great information on there, kind of like uh, – you know, a prelude to what was going to happen in this match, including some of the midfield play. And one call out for, let's see, I think I, I marked it on here. Uh, shoot, I well, lost. Phil, yeah. Jamin Moore also did write a fantastic article about uh, all the, the things that have been going on behind the scenes in the San Jose Earthquakes front office with them building out a new data analytics team uh, that's sort of working on the forefront of data analytics and, and MLS and catching San Jose's front office capabilities up to the rest of the league. So I really highly recommend that article if you're interested in a lot of the things that are maybe not uh, going to uh, create any short-term 
changes here in San Jose, but in the long term will really help this organization uh, build and, and grow going forward. Yeah, and and uh, also the the thing I was calling out quickly that was Trey Fillmore that he interviewed from Blue Balls, and he was talking about Keaton Parks, who absolutely had an, an impact on this game as well. So that's definitely worth checking out. Um, you can also find us on Twitter where we give updates for the show and we give updates for other things that are going on uh, around the Quakes Epicenter uh, organization. And one other thing I wanted to shout out was Colin Etnire's spreadsheet. That is all the inf- the salary information, as much as we have about the team, um, what space there is, you know, inside the cap and what the Quakes are going to be capable of including onto the roster or what kind of an impact the, the players' salaries are currently having on the roster as well. So make sure you check that out, uh, quakesepicenter.com, and make sure you like and subscribe to the show as well. Okay, gentlemen, we are still waiting on Jackson Yule, so let's talk a bit more about the uh, defensive aspect of the team and JT Marcinkowski's performance. I'm curious, Alex, what you're thinking here in terms of how the team held defensively up until about the uh, what 70 to 75 minute mark when they started allowing in the goals. Um, how does this look to you? Is this like a, a positive to take forward, or are are there going to have to be some changes that can be? They're going to have to be made, namely uh, Nathan possibly being added back into the roster as Tanner Beeson was stepping in for him because of the red card. Um, Do you think that with the addition back of Nathan onto the roster that we will perhaps see a better uh, defensive performance from the team? How's it going to look going against the Rapids? Well, look, let me let me start from the back and build up here. JT Marshagaski didn't cover himself in glory. Uh, today. Uh, he's been one of San Jose's strongest defensive assets for the last year and a half. I think we really haven't doubted him since he uh, you know, took over the reins from uh, from Daniel Vega, and he's been incredibly strong. But uh, you know, I think with a couple of those opportunities, he could have done a little bit better, positioned himself a little bit better today. Uh, so that's one thing. I think that uh, for the best part of 75 minutes, their defense was really solid, uh, and Tanner Beeson was solid at the back. They made the space compact. They didn't let uh, New York City FC really build through the middle. They had a, a good chance where uh, Tati Castellano, you know, from a set piece, uh, forced a really good save out of JT. But otherwise, New York City didn't really have that many clear-cut chances. And it was really not until the, the 75th minute when I think, as Asher mentioned earlier, you start to talk about the depth, uh, the Quakes not having any other defensive options back back there on the bench to bring in. And uh, I think Eric Rometty also lost a ton of focus. I mean, uh, when you have your defensive midfielder giving away stupid balls in the, the defensive third, uh, there's only so much the center backs can do to, to cover for that. And uh, look, Nathan is arguably their best defender back there. And, and sometimes he makes rash, stupid challenges as he did against the Seattle Sounders last weekend. And that can cost the Quakes. Uh, but I think more often than not, he improves the quality of this back line. So I think uh, having him back there as an option uh, against Colorado Rapids next weekend will improve things. And, and at very least, it gives them another defensive option on the bench, more optionalities. And I think um, we're being joined Jackson by Jackson. Uh, let's go straight into questions, starting with Fabian Brinkle. Go ahead, Fabian. Hi, Jackson. Thank you for your time today. Coming into New York, understanding that the pitch is a little smaller than what you're used to, how did you make adjustments on your game plan for the match? Thank you. Um, yeah, well, first, you know, um, really good team. You know, I think we prepared pretty well. You know, we made our training field um, a little bit smaller. We were trying to play in um, tight spaces during during training throughout the week. And, um, you know, I think 
we tried um, pressing a little bit differently with with our forwards going up because we knew it was um, you know a narrow field and we thought that they could jump and um, so I think our game plan was was really good um, you know I think we were able to do it for about 70 minutes and then um, you know I think the last 20 we kind of got away from it a little bit and um, I think that's when the game kind of slipped away from us. Thank you, Jackson. Next up, Alex Morgan. Jackson, can you talk a little bit about uh, the press that you guys are doing and the, and the way you're putting pressure on teams in the final third? Because it, it, it's looked like in these last couple games uh, under Alex Cavella, you guys have been uh, trying to win more balls in the final third and, or at least been more effective at doing that and, and creating those quick transition moments. So I'm curious what like the strategy has been and how some of those things have maybe changed over the last couple of games. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think, um, you know, with Alex's system, um, you know, I think it's all about, um, you know, we emphasize a lot about the spaces and, you know, being um, not so man oriented as, as we have been in the past few years. And so, um, you know, I think that allows for, for you to, you know, kind of get in front of your mark and, um, you know, kind of, you know, be more connected to your teammate than it is to worry about, um, you know, the other players. And so I think that's kind of allowed us to, you know, close the close the lines a little bit and, you know, allow our back back line to, to step up and, and not feel so worried about, you know, big gaps. And so I think that's kind of helped with, um, you know, win, winning the ball up higher. You know, I think they do a great job of, of anticipating and then, um, you know, when we can get uh, Jamiro and Christian to, you know, press and, you know, be, be sort of our triggers, I think, you know, we can put the, you know, with their speed and their aggressiveness and, you know, kind of with their timing, I think we can put, um, you know, back lines under pressure. And, you know, I think we did a good job of, of winning winning balls today. And I, and I think they're able to press well for, for the game. And so I think, you know, it's still, we're still learning. It's, it's still it's still a process. And, um, you know, I think, um, you know, we're getting better with, with the press and, and understanding, you know, Alex a lot more. Thank you. Uh, let's now switch over to Jamin Moore. Unmuted. Hi, Jackson. Thanks for uh, taking the time to talk to us. Uh, um, obviously, you know, things did hold together pretty well for about 60 minutes or so. Today, really, the team had gone over 100 minutes without giving up a goal to two of the best teams in the league. Um, Unfortunately, when the dam broke, you know, there were several goals given up. Is there still some work to do with the mentality of this of this team, given its recent history of giving up goals in bunches, about uh, how to handle giving up a goal, particularly when there's that much time left in the game and a great opportunity to be able to get back into it uh, instead of uh, giving up a couple in rapid succession like, like happened today? Thank you. Muted. Um, yeah, you know, I, I think... Um, you know, the, the group is strong and, and I think the, this transition is, you know, kind of mobilized the guys and, you know, I think the, the will to win is, is definitely there. Um, I think definitely one of our flaws throughout the, um, course has been, you know, conceding first and, um, you know, and then trying to get back into it. And so I think that's, that's part of the mental part is, you know, coming out and, you know, being the aggressors and, and getting the first goal and, you know, then, then playing, you know, I think we're, we're a really good team that, that responds well. Um, you know, we've had this mentality of never saying die. And, and you know, I think today, um, you know, when we did give up that first goal, you know, it's not that our, our mentality lessened, but I think, you know, we, we gave up too many spaces and they were able to, you know, like you said, they're, they're, they're a great team and, and they were able to pick us apart, you know, to, to score the second and the third. Um, and so I think, you know, the mentality is, um, you know, can, can always improve, you know, can be more 
structured and in order. Um, you know, I think the guys um, kind of wanted to win, and I think we kind of stepped out of out of the game plan to to try to push once they scored the first goal, and then you know the second and third came came after that. But um, you know, I think the throughout the guys, you know, it's it's about winning and competing, and you know, trying to respond to to our mistakes. And you know, I think you saw that a lot against Seattle in the last game, and um, unfortunately didn't work out today. But you know, the the team is strong, and you know, we look forward to next week. All right, thanks, Jackson, for your time, and thank you, everyone on here, for joining us on today's press conference. Uh, thank you, guys. All right, cool. We're joined by Trey Fillmore from the Blue Balls podcast. He covers NYCFC. Trey, thank you for joining us. Uh, one thing that you mentioned when you were speaking with Jamin uh, when you guys had met prior to, to the game was the impact that Keaton Parks might actually have on this match, and he was the one to break the floodgates. So I'm interested on your perspective, what you think about this match, considering the Quakes were able to hold out for about the first 70 minutes of the match, and then suddenly everything fell apart for them. Uh, what are your thoughts? Yeah, honestly, I think it went pretty much as expected in in that first half in the sense of I think San Jose matches up really well against NYCFC. I think the press is really impressive. Uh, I was just at the press conference with Ronnie Dyla, and he hasn't spoken that well about a team this year so far. He said San Jose was the best opponent we've played against uh, at home this year. Uh, and I agree. I think uh, it was a really solid matchup and, and really stifled a lot of our players. Um, but then you have individuals like Keaton Parks, and, and that's why I brought him up before. He really can do everything box to box. I mean, in the first half of the game, he was uh, on Tati Cassiano's shoulder. And then at the beginning of the second half, he would move back to a Regista role uh, while our center backs moved up. And then obviously he came up and, and made the one-two for the goal. I, when you're facing a team like San Jose and they're stifling you, as San Jose did so well in this match, you pray to have players like Keaton Parks that can really break those lines. And I think he did fantastic today. Um, but honestly, like, yeah, I wanted to come on and, and, and just congratulate you guys on at least a, a really good performance to, to start the match. Um, it, was, it was really tense there for, for a very long time. And um, I think there's a lot of potential with, with San Jose, too. All right. Well, really appreciate your insight there, Trey, on, on the match and especially the comments about the press conference. I think that's very telling, uh, especially for Quakes fans to be able to hear that, yes, despite the fact that it was a 3-0 result, there are some positives to look at. And just before you joined us, we had we had been kind of talking about that as well. So, uh, gentlemen, if we can kind of talk about uh, Jackson Yule a little bit here in the press conference and kind of his responses. Asher, you pointed out that one thing that he discussed was the uh, the game plan um, that Alex Covello had going, and maybe you can kind of like elaborate on what you heard a little bit there. Yeah, I thought it was an interesting comment that Yule made that they had a game plan and they got away from it and they got punished for it. And that, yeah, I think it was obvious with the substitution pattern, right? Like bringing out Montero, like and I said something in the Patreon chat, like it looks like they're just trying to bunker and counter and try and hit set pieces for the rest of the game. And that didn't work out. And it's really, um, you know, maybe it is just the first few weeks of the new coach, but compare that to what Trey was just saying, where it's like, oh, like this 11 isn't working out with Keaton Parks up here. Let's just move some players around. We'll be able to find openings. Um, they're familiar with each other. They're familiar with game states in a way that NYC was able to do that. And San Jose just wasn't. They, um, you know, one of the things that uh, I think we all came to kind of appreciate in a way about Almeida Ball was that like, they're going to have the pedal on the gas go 60 no matter what. Um, this is what San Jose Earthquakes do. And now Cavallo's like, okay, like we're going to try and get out of here with the point. And they just didn't really seem to be aware of how to do that. 
And um, the other side that was seeing like they were aware of how to get the yeah burst the dam once they're able to do that. So as soon as you see you'll um, realize that um, you kind of wonder. It's like okay, like it's great to realize that after the game. Like last time, let's realize that in the seventy second minute. Um, let's not get uh, Ronnie Dale talking about how great we were to play. Let's get Ronnie Dale talking about how ticked off he is that he lost to San Jose. Uh, how do we do that? That's the next step. Uh, so we're not there yet, but um, it was interesting the awareness of that. And the question is how to get there. Yeah, most definitely. Actually, I had that in mind during the match too. It kind of seemed like there was more. So there was more to the game plan. Like I had, I felt like a, a sense of trust in Co Covello's approach a little bit more than Matias Almeida's approach. Um, Alex, I'm going to go and kick it over to you. I'd like to hear your thoughts. Oh yeah, I, I I think that one of the things that instills that trust in Covello and his game plan is the way that he talks about the tactical strategy that they have, and also the way that the players talk about the tactical strategies that they have. You hear Jackson Ewell in that press conference is really able to accurately articulate what broke down uh, and what they need to do going forward and, and what their game plan is. I think after uh, a lot of the, the games in the Matias Almeida era, you kind of see the players come on and throw their hands up and look defeated and not really know what went wrong and not know to how to identify uh, those issues and those problems. Now they know exactly what they need to do and exactly what's going wrong and, and how to address that. Uh, and I, I guess while we still have Trey here as well, thank you so much for joining us from uh, from New York. I, I do want to ask, you know, you watch New York City play week in, week out, uh, and you can see the differences between uh, games that are on this this really narrow field and on this wide field. How much should we keep that in mind? And, you know, if these two teams matched up, on a wider field in San Jose, do you think the result would be the same? How do you think these games change because of the narrow field? Uh, I think San Jose approached it really well when, in terms of there was not multiple avenues for NYCFC to use in that first half because the, I don't know if you saw, you know, recently we've switched to really only using one six, one, one defensive midfielder. And at, at most of the time, Contra Acevedo, the six for NYCFC, was covered by at least two, usually three players um, in distribution. So the center of the field was cut off. And I think you can e more easily play compact like San Jose did on a field like this. And, and I think it really helps stem anything going up the middle. Now, Ronnie adjust, saw that, adjusted to that with his substitutions, um, had some more attacking players sit back and multiple people sit back so he could build more solidly through the middle. I think that's something San Jose has to keep in mind if they want to try to play compact like that. Um, but it, it really, I think San Jose did a good job of really limiting the options that a team has on a field like this. Um, I appreciate your guys' hospitality. I will just head out right after this, but I do have to mention that number 15, Beeson, there's been one player in this whole league that has shut down Tati Castellanos for a game, and that's Walker Zimmerman. And Beeson in this match, at least from here, live from the press box, I've never seen another player except for Zimmerman shut down Tati Castellanos and frustrate him like he did today. I think he played out of his mind. I was really impressed. As someone who does, I don't, I, I couldn't name him or pick him out of a lineup before today, and uh, I, I, I think he did a great job. So I just I have to give him a shout out for his performance today. I hope he. Uh, understands that he did a really good job and um again it, it was a really fun match it was really difficult and i'm sorry it didn't go your guys way but i'm looking forward to the next time i think you guys are a really fun matchup so thanks for having me guys i really appreciate it can i ask you a quick question before you jump out Trey? not a problem um, yeah 
Yeah, I just wanted to shout out. There was someone in our chat, Sandra Valencia, was talking about Beeson as well. Does Tati Casares usually play that dirty? I don't want to sound like sour grapes, but he seemed visibly frustrated by how Beeson was playing him all match. And I don't know if that's common for him, but he was, yeah, like going for ankles and shins, it seemed like, after a while. Uh, he is absolutely that dirty every match. Uh, usually, usually it comes with more goals. But uh, that is that is vintage Tati. It's just... Usually once or twice he'll he'll have moments of beauty where he scores. That's why, you know, I understand a lot of the team doesn't like him, but he's the kind of player that you absolutely want on your team. Um, but again, I think Beeson was just incredible today. I, I really enjoyed his performance. All right, Trey, well, we really appreciate Thanks, guys, from beautiful baseball stadium, USA. <laughs> Take care. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot, man. Take care. <laughs> that's all that's outstanding um let's let's go ahead and move over to the the last part of the show which is our final thoughts before we move on uh, i did want to say something really quickly though for those of you who are unfamiliar or don't watch micfc too often or don't follow like the league-wide stats uh tati castellanos was the golden boot winner from last season so it says a lot that somebody who follows the team so closely knows his style of play would make such comments about tanner beeson um and especially since we did have our questions coming in about how he was positionally kind of playing opposite of his foot in the uh, the center back uh, formation and also having to take the place of Nathan. So, you know, considering all those things. But as we move into the end of the show here, Alex, I'm going to go over to you first and then we'll go to Asher and then I'll wrap it up. Um, what are your final thoughts as we go into this matchup against the Colorado Rapids uh, next week? What are we going to be seeing here from the San Jose Earthquakes? What is a positive for you and what should we perhaps be a little bit worried about? Well, look, I think Trey's perspective was was really helpful because it demonstrates how New York City FC are a really solid team. They have one of the best players in the league in Tati Castellano. And I don't think you saw that tonight. I don't think you saw how, how good New York City FC are because guys like Beeson did such a good job at shutting them down for so long. And it was really only in that last 15 minutes or so that the Quakes uh, lost their grip on this one. And I think that uh, you know, you put them in a situation against uh, Colorado Rapids uh, where they have more options with Nathan coming back, where they have more space to attack up front. I'm really optimistic about uh, this team's uh, fortunes in the next few weeks and in the long term as well, because uh, one thing Jackson Ewell mentioned in his post-match press conference was just how, you know, the shift away from such a man-oriented system to a more zonal uh, pressure and, and uh, press allows them to become the aggressors, to become the protagonists, to be on the front foot, winning balls, uh, and to to trust their uh, their teammates and to trust themselves. I think at the end of the Matias Almeida era, uh, you saw them lose so much confidence and play with a lot of nerves. And that's never a recipe for success because every time they lost the ball, they were worried about the opposition going right down the middle and scoring a goal. Now that they're playing more zonally, there's less pressure on those one we one battles, which puts them in a much better situation to win the ball high at the field, to create dangerous transitions, to really boss those transition moments. And we saw that today for, for long stretches of the game. We saw how their defense has improved. And, uh, you know, look, I, I'm confident that this team will be able to put the ball in the back of the net. I, you know, we, we didn't see that tonight, but they have the attacking weapons. You have guys like Christian Espinosa, who we haven't even talked about really tonight, but who's looked much more impressive over the last couple games, like really rejuvenated, like the way he was playing in 2019 when he was carrying this team. You have guys like Gregush, you have guys like Abobasi, who's already scored a couple of really brilliant, solid goals this season, who definitely has more in him. And then beyond that, you have guys like Benji Kakanovich and Kate Cowell, who didn't show what they were capable of doing tonight. They were tossed into a tough situation. I don't think they adapted to the tactical strategy well, but definitely have the 
the capacity and the talent to, to put the ball in the back of the net. So they have a lot of options. I'm optimistic, even though uh, 3-0 seems it, I think, first glance like a bad result. I think this was a, a good performance from the Quakes in, in a game in which I take away a lot of positives. Yeah, the 3-0 scoreline certainly doesn't tell the whole story. Um, Asher, your final thoughts before we close out? Yeah, um, yeah, I agree with a lot of what Alex just said. I was pointing out, you know, the next game's coming up, hosting Colorado at Vancouver, hosting Portland, Kansas City, uh, and then going to LAFC to close out the month. That's a streak of winnable games. You put an open cut match in there as well. Um, that's really a streak that you can see a team build confidence with. Um, so I'd really like to see that happen, you know. Three, it didn't feel like a 3-0 game for a lot of it. You know, Calvo, who's on a rag on consistently, played really well as, as well. Uh, him and Beeson really held Castellanos in check. Um, and I see he was able to make adjustments. San Jose wasn't. So I think it's just a matter of the team getting more used to each other, uh, figuring out how to combine in the attack and really play out a zone 14 the way that you see a team like NYCFC do. Um, that's what we want to see next. I think that... And we're building towards it. And as I said already once, this is what teams usually do in February. Uh, but because of a hundred different reasons, we're instead doing it in May. Uh, it's hopefully going to be a really exciting May. Um, you know, playoffs still seems very optimistic, but just at least playing entertaining, fluid soccer and, you know, being a part, a part of football, something to watch for a couple hours on a weekend or on a Wednesday night. I think that's really what we're looking for at this point. And I think that uh, you can really see it building towards that. And then with, you know, some good summer adjustments. You know, I think Trophy's probably played his last game in MLS. Can't imagine why I want to get hurt right before the um, the guy at this window opens up. But hopefully we'll see some cool stuff coming up soon. Look, Asher, I, I have always enjoyed watching the San Jose Earthquakes. But for the last year and a half, maybe, it felt like my enjoyment was driven more by a morbid curiosity. Like I was watching like a Shakespearean tragedy or tragic comedy or something. Whereas now it feels like I'm watching a hero's journey. I'm watching... Uh, an optimistic team and, and looking forward to, to the way that they build this new project. And, and my, I think my, my excitement is driven more by hope and optimism at this stage. And, and that's why um, I think I enjoyed this one so much. Driven more by hope than optimism sounds like a very good summation of where we are right now. I really like that. I think I that's like a really good note to end on. I, one thing that makes me hopeful is knowing that the team is coming into the match with a clear game plan. I do like that we are still seeing some of the elements of the Matias Almeida system uh, in terms of the tenacity, um, how much camaraderie there is between the players, and and just getting out there and really um, giving all they got at times for this team. But I really like that Alex Covello has instilled in them a little bit more of a defensive uh, awareness, a little bit more of a defensive structure. And, and that includes, as you mentioned, Alex, playing a little more zonally than man marking all the time. And I think we saw clear benefits of that in this match. Uh, they did end up giving they did end up giving up three goals, but I think the fact is they looked a lot better. They were a lot more enjoyable to watch. And when those goals happened, it was a lot less for me anyway of like just like putting my head down and shaking my head in disappointment. It was just like, okay, you know, NYCFC uh, built up to this goal. They earned it. It was not just sheer incompetence from the, uh, the structure of the earthquakes. And I think for me, that gives me some hope because I think there's going to be some really big positives to look forward to, especially when the quakes get Chofis back into the team and they have other um, elements that can help to unlock the defense of other teams. So with the combination of 
you know, having more defensive structure and having some of those offensive elements coming in to shift the game, I'm really uh, hopeful. One other thing I wanted to hit on one more time was having Jamiro Montero play centrally. I really like that point that you made, Asher. I think that's really going to change things. It puts a lot less stress on Jeremy Abobasi to come to have to come back as a nine and play more into the midfield, which is what we saw like constantly when the Quakes needed a 10 in prior seasons and Chris Wondolowski had to oftentimes come back and play in the midfield rather than occupying the space where he's best, which is uh, right on the edge of zone 14 or in the 18-yard box where he can really have the biggest impact. And so that's something I'm really going to be looking forward to as the Quakes head into this match against the Colorado Rapids, um, which next week is going to be very telling for this team once again, and I'm excited for that. So for Asher and Alex and Jamin and Colin and Trey, who joined us later on, um, I just want to say thanks to everybody for joining us today. Make sure you get us after the next match. Check out QuakesEpicenter.com. Join our Patreon. Again, $2 a month. You can get early access to our content. $5 a month. You can join us on our Slack, where you can get in with all the fun chat with the other fans who pay $5 a month and the journalists who contribute to the website and the show as well. And lastly, make sure you like and subscribe right here on YouTube. And I hope you all have a wonderful rest of your weekend. Make sure to join us next time.